Good to hear so many little voices this morning. <laughs> Turn with me to Psalm 65, please. We're going to be building on the theme of the um, morning devotional this, uh, today. Thank the Lord, our great provider. Thank the Lord, our great provider. And we're going to uh, use, um, look at Psalm 65 as the, um, as the basis for our thanksgiving. The psalm written by King David is a harvest song. He may have written it for um, the festival of first fruits in the, um, in the spring of the year. But um, if, we, if we really look at the psalm, we realize that it's about the millennial reign of Messiah, okay? We'll see, uh, we'll see little guideposts, little signs there that indicate, really, David is looking ahead. He's, um, he's praising the Lord for conditions during the reign of Messiah. This will be um, the reign of Jesus, after the tribulation, after his return to uh, the earth, we call it the second advent, and it's during his thousand-year reign on the earth. David's psalm is a praise anthem. It's a praise anthem. But uh, in the spirit of the Thanksgiving season, we're going to find plenty to thank the Lord for in this praise. We can study the psalm on three levels. We can look at it as it relates to the earth during the millennium. We can look at it as it reveals the experiences of King David when he composed it about 1000 BC. And then on a third level, we can look at it, uh, how it affects the saints of Calvary Bible Chapel in 2023. Okay, three levels that we can uh, uh, we'll apply, we'll look at this psalm. What do we expect to gain from our study this morning? What's there for us in the 65th psalm? Well, um, Nick, you hit it on the head. Um, in your devotional, you said that, the song, that thanksgiving is transformational. What does that mean? It's transformational. That means that it changes us. Thanksgiving changes the thanker, the one who's giving thanks. And... Um, Thanksgiving is a wonderful cure for bitterness. It's a preventative medicine against worry. Uh, second thing is, gratitude puts life into proper perspective. When, uh, when we're grateful to the Lord, we, uh, we assume an attitude of um, receiving. We're receiving benefits. There's, uh, I think Paul said in 2 Corinthians, uh, what do you have that you didn't receive? Everything we have, every benefit that we enjoy uh, comes from the Lord. And then a uh, third thing we might receive from the, um, from the psalm is opportunity to acknowledge the Lord, his care, his abundance. And um, this honors the Lord. So uh, we want to walk away from our message this morning with that um, it's not a discipline, it's, um, 
again, an attitude of, of thanking the Lord. Thank him for what he's given. Thank him as our, our great provider. Okay, well, let's read Psalm 65. Praise is waiting you, awaiting you, O God in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power. You who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. We'll look at this psalm in, um, in three, under three different headings. I borrowed these from uh, Arthur G. Clarke and his notes on the psalms. Um, the first portion, verses 1 through 4, uh, God shows his grace in connection with the sanctuary. Verses 5 through 8, God shows his greatness in connection with society. Verses 9 through 11, God shows his goodness in connection with the soil. And then uh, we'll make application at the end. About whom did God, I'm sorry, about whom did David compose this psalm? First slide, Nat, please. Oh, good. Okay, you broke it up into, into pieces. I don't, I don't know that you can read this. I don't know that you can see the blue highlights. But um, we talked about repetition in the past and how repetition is a key to uh, understanding the focus, uh, the subject of the message. And here um, is highlighted every reference to the Lord in, in the psalm. 30 different references in 13 verses. Wh who's the psalm about this morning? About the Lord. <laughs> Thanks, Nat. <clears throat> so God shows his grace in connection with the sanctuary. We, we read in the first, um, in the first verses that uh, God receives praise. He hears prayer, and he atones for the transgressions of sinners. God is praiseworthy. 
God's worship has been building through the centuries. Israel's been um, estranged. They've been uh, set aside by God, and, um, and yet the Lord is worthy of praise. And so this praise has been stacking up. It's been building up through the, uh, through the centuries. And here it finds its outlet as, um, as Messiah leads the worship. He says, praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow will be performed. What is the vow? Bill McDonald, in his commentary, suggests a couple things. He, um, he sees the vow as Messiah's promise in Isaiah 45, 23, to me, every knee shall bow. And that, uh, that vow, that promise is realized in the millennium. Um, his vow in, uh, in Psalm 22, verse 22, in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. And here uh, he's leading the praise of Israel. It could be a vow of love, obedience, and worship by the persecuted saints during the, tri- the Great Tribulation. Is it okay to make vows? We make them. Uh, Zacchaeus was an example of one who vowed um, because uh, the Lord, the king, had come into his house, had blessed his house. He said, Lord, I restore uh, whatever I've taken, and, and uh, I make... Um, I make, make up for, for the things that I've taken unfairly. And he made, he made that vow to the Lord. He, uh, he was required then to pay it, and I believe he did so gladly. We make vows. Um, there was one actually in our hymn. I'm not going to recall it for you, but um, uh, hymns like, I surrender all. Have you sung that? That's a vow. We need to be careful when we sing these hymns that we sing them sincerely. And uh, honestly, if you can't surrender all, don't sing the hymn, okay? That's easy. Um, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my life. Read through that hymn and read through all the vows uh, that the hymn writer puts in there. Yeah, we make vows. Um, We make them gladly. We make them because the Lord is worthy. God hears prayer in verse 2. To the um, converted nations during the millennium, God will be known as the prayer-hearing God. In that day, all flesh will come to him. Well, David knew that God answered prayer. For example, in 2 Samuel 5, The uh, Philistines were threatening uh, Israel. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. The Lord answered prayer. A few, verses, uh, a few verses later, uh, a few days or weeks later, the uh, Philistines came again and uh, deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, 
you shall not go up. The Lord had a better plan. David followed the Lord's plan. David defeated the Philistines again. May we be as sensitive to the Lord's command to go up and not to go up in answer to our prayer. The Lord provides an effective covering for guilty transgressors. In verse 3, I believe the Messiah here is saying, iniquities prevail against me. The Lord Jesus, recalling the the sacrifice on on the cross and how the the sins of mankind, your guilt and and your shame and mine, uh, bearing down on him uh, as a heavy burden, which, uh, which was too heavy for him. And yet, in the end, Jesus prevailed over your sin. His sacrifice paid the penalty for those. And we read in, um, in Romans 5 that grace, grace is greater than sin. Jesus overwhelmed. He prevailed. The Jewish remnant acknowledges this. They say in verse 3, as for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Not for sins of his own did Jesus die, but uh, he bore the sin of transgressors. We read in Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The remnant, the the Jewish remnant, praised the Lord for his um, atoning, his covering, his forgiveness. Psalm 130 says, with the Lord is abundant Redemption. Where are you this morning? Are you healed by the stripes of God's sin bearer? Or are you destined to bear your own sin in hell for all eternity? Where are you? We who know the Lord have such a debt of love and of thanks that we owe him. Thank the Lord. God chooses, in verse 4, he chose Messiah as his servant. We read in Isaiah 42, 1, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect, that is, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the Gentiles. God chose Jesus, Messiah, as his servant. And really, Jesus alone is worthy to approach the Lord and to dwell in his courts, Jesus alone. Nevertheless, God chose David. In Psalm 78, we read, he also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, From following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, 
and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. God chose David, and David exulted in that. He, he, um, uh, he was rejoicing in his choice. God chooses his followers today. In Ephesians 1, we read that, God, that he, that is God the Father, chose us in him, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Well, that begs the question, how can I know if God has chosen me? And it's simple. It's by your response to his invitation. You'll know you're chosen when you respond to his invitation to come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you accept that invitation, if you receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you're chosen. God chose you before the foundation of the earth. Isn't that good? That's simple, right? There's nothing complicated about that. So don't worry about whether you're chosen or not. Obey the Lord's command. It is a command. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Will you obey the command? If you don't know the Lord Jesus this morning, will you obey his command to come to him? Salvation is not the ultimate goal, but um, in verse 4, that he may dwell in your courts. Communion is what the Lord desires. David, or the psalmist, wrote in Psalm 27, he said, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God's desire was also David's desire to behold his moral excellence, to be schooled in the, uh, the beauty uh, of the Lord God and his righteousness, in his uh, separation from sinners, in his... Um, in his care, his love for us, to experience him more. Well, for us today, thank the Lord that he waits for us morning by morning to commune with him. He's there. He's waiting. Uh, do, we, uh, do we take advantage of that opportunity to, uh, to commune with him? That's, that's his desire. That's his goal uh, day by day. God shows his grace in connection with the sanctuary. Well, God shows his greatness in connection with society as well. Messiah, seated on his throne, righteously punishes his enemies with awesome judgments. We read that in verse 5. For example, the Lord avenges the death of his people in answer to their prayer. We... Um, we looked at this recently in our Revelation study. In the fifth seal, John saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell 
on the earth. It was, a, it was a cry, it was a prayer to the Lord. And Messiah's answer is, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. God righteously punished his enemies with awesome judgments. We see that in Revelation 16. David experienced the awesome judgment of God against his enemies as a youth. David was just a young man, and the armies of Israel had assembled at the uh, Valley of Elah, and the army of the Philistines had assembled, and the two armies were arrayed against each other, and there was going to be a battle. But the, um, the Philistines trotted their champion out each day, and uh, he, uh, he defied the armies of Israel. Come on, come on, let's have a fight. He was... Uh, how tall was, uh, was Goliath? He was like nine feet tall. <laughs> he, uh, he spread fear into the hearts of Israel, and they, they, uh, they were afraid. And um, possibly the army of Israel was starting to, to lose heart, starting to disperse. Philistines wouldn't even have to fight. David observed this, and he said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? And so with, uh, with sling and stone, uh, David slew the champion of, uh, of the Philistines and, and put them to flight. They fled before Israel, and Israel had a magnificent uh, victory that day because of the awesome deeds of God in righteousness. There may be a Goliath in your life today. There may be a, um, a sinful habit, a toxic attitude, a bad relationship, financial burden. It's a nine-foot uh, adversary that's been defying the power and the sovereignty of God, so it seems. How do you deal with that? Advance against it in faith believing that the, law, that the Lord will answer you with an awesome deed in righteousness. Confront Goliath. So the Lord reveals himself as the God of our salvation and the confidence or the trust of all the earth. In verse 5, Isaiah said in uh, chapter 45 of his prophecy, Look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none other. In verse 6, the Lord established the mountains by his strength. He set them in their place. Slide, Matt. Himalayas, you'll, you may recognize majestic, majestic mountains. And they illustrate for us the majesty of God. 
God could have made the earth plain. He could have made a flat earth. He didn't. He set these mountains in their place to reveal something of his splendor, his glory, his majesty. Next slide. Mount Hermon, majestic as well. And possibly uh, David was looking at Mount Hermon when he penned these words. They speak of the majesty of God. In verse 7, God stills the noise of the seas. Would you show us a video, uh, Nat, of the restless sea? Okay, if, you have, if you're prone to seasickness, you might not want to watch. Restless. Raging. <laughs> you get the idea. God stills the restless sea. Isaiah wrote, the work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. It's a millennial benefit. It's a millennial truth. God stills the raging seas. We saw that in the ministry of Jesus in Mark 4. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. How many uh, instances of Jesus sleeping do you recall? And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the, to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? He rebuked the wind. And um, as one preacher described, that last wave that they crested fell into a perfect calm, a, a glassy sea. It was just totally calm and left the, uh, left the disciples speechless. So Jesus calms the storms in our lives today. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We read, continuing in, um, in verse 7, um, he, he will still the tumult of the peoples. They also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. The effect of God's deeds of righteousness is to silence the noise of his detractors, his enemies, and he brings reverential fear to those um, who are in the furthest parts of the earth. It really speaks of the millennium, that, uh, that even to the furthest corners uh, of the world, um, 
God silences their tumult, their quiet. So God shows his greatness connected with society. God shows his goodness in connection with the soil. Here's another picture of Messiah's millennial reign in verse 9. You visit the earth and water it. God visits the earth, that is, with a, a special care, with his attentiveness. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? God is attentive to the earth and to his inhabitants, its inhabitants and to you. He waters the earth. Literally, he overflows it with, with plenty. He makes the earth rich. The river of God is full of water. Bill McDonald, in his commentary, wrote, listen carefully, he sends showers from his overhead river. That's insightful. He he sends the showers from his overhead river. Bill wrote his commentary in 1992. At that time, scientists at MIT coined the term atmospheric rivers. Okay? Bill was ahead of his time. Um, and the atmospheric river they used to describe a relatively narrow corridor of concentrated moisture. Um, this thing could be 1,000 miles long and maybe uh, 100 miles ac uh, across, but it's, uh, it's a huge corridor of moisture being transported uh, inland. I mean, these have been around for thousands of years, but finally we have a name for it. It sounds like we're just now experiencing it, but uh, atmospheric rivers have been around. We don't appreciate, I don't appreciate what the Lord does when he provides rain. So I, I've developed an illustration to help us uh, regarding these atmospheric rivers. How much effort would it take you and me to transport water from the ocean or from a lake to where it can be best used for us locally? Where, uh, how much effort would it take to... Um, uh, to transport water to where it can be best used. Well, let's, let's try. Uh, let's take um, a little bucket of water, and um, we're going to take this three gallons of water. Uh, we would have dipped it in the, in the bay, and we're going to take it up to Carson Pass. Okay? That's uh, 163 miles. Would you put the... Yeah, you got it. Okay. So we're going to start. Uh, here's Calvary Bible Chapel. And here's Carson Pass. So it's only 183 miles. And um, so I figured out if we... If I can carry this 12 miles a day, okay... I can reach Carson Pass in 15 days. 
That's, um, I'm, only, I'm only hiking six hours a day, so that should be relatively easy, right? Well, at 12 miles per day, I'll reach Dublin in two days. I'll reach Tracy in four, Stockton in six, and the Burger King outside of Lodi in eight days. Believe it or not, it is a, a landmark on this walking map, so you take your map with you, and, and it's going to take you by the Burger King. But um, we're going to reach Carson Pass. It's uh, 8,590 feet elevation. So we got a little climb there at the end. But um, uh, we're going we're gonna to get there, OK? This thing's getting heavy. Um, contrast your effort with your three gallons of water. Uh, with what the Lord does. Put the, uh, put the water cycle up there, Matt. He created what scientists call a water cycle or a hydrologic cycle. Water evaporates from lakes and streams. It condenses in clouds. And it precipitates as, as rain and snow in the mountains. On what scale is he doing this? One atmospheric river can transport more water than the Amazon River. That, that blows my mind. That uh, that's staggering because the Amazon River flows at a rate of 8 million cubic feet per, what do you think, per year, per week, per day? If you guessed a second, you're right, 8 million cubic feet per second. Uh, I need to check Wikipedia. They, they can be wrong. but. Uh, they say the Amazon flows 8 million cubic feet per second. God has devised this atmospheric river to, to transport moisture to where it's needed, 9,000 feet high, at the rate of um, 8 million feet, cubic feet per second. And he does that for 24 hours or 48 hours, depending on the length of the storm. So my pitiful little, this is a third of a cubic foot of water compared to 8 million cubic feet of water. It took me 15 days. Takes the Lord uh, just a fraction of that. With the added bonus that the water I collected has salt and impurities in it, and the rain, the snow that God supplies on the mountains is pure water. There's no salt in it. There are no impurities in it. It may gather them on the way down, but uh, as, he's, uh, as he's going through the, the water cycle, that's pure water. Whom do we have to thank? Thank. We were at a, um, 
meeting, a customer was out observing some of his equipment being, equipment being tested, and we talked about the sheer volume of water that was being transported uh, to the Sierras. And uh, at the end of our discussion, I turned to the customer and I said, whom do we have to thank for that? And he, he, he thought about it for a second and he said, Mother Nature? I said, uh, you're missing something here. Uh, I said, if, if the Lord didn't provide you that water, you wouldn't have it. Amen? You would not have that water but for the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah asked, are there any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? Therefore, we wait for you. Mother Nature is a uh, according to Wikipedia, a personification of nature that focuses on the life-giving and nurturing aspects of nature, okay? Which translated means, Mother Nature means no God. There was an article in Thursday's San Leandro Times. Mike Peckner is a um, noted meteorologist in the Bay Area. He's a CBS uh, expert in the field. And he writes, what is important to follow up, what is important is to follow up last winter's near record rainfall with at least average rain and snow, which will mean a good water year for the state's farmers. Average precipitation years tend to provide enough water for all and suppress drought, suppress drought concerns. Let's hope Mother Nature is kind to us this year. Well, King David composed this psalm 3,000 years ago, and he shows more insight than some of our brightest scientists. Then thank the Lord. Oh, thank the Lord for all his love. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. The millennium will be a time of unprecedented bounty. The Lord will remove the curse of the fall and allow crops to grow uh, abundantly. Show us, uh, show us how wheat grows, Nat. Here's a time lapse. I can, can we skip the advertising? No, that's fine. Okay, so watch carefully. There's a field furrowed, sprouting with wheat. The stalks grow. And bring forth grain, ripening, ready for harvest. Isn't that good? The Lord provides grain. We can, we can rejoice in the Lord's provision now as David did when he composed this psalm. Verse 10, 
You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. The word uh, water in the original there means to make to drink in, to drink to the full. God causes the ground to drink the water in, to, um, to satisfy it, to fill it. The Lord blesses with growth. The Apostle Paul used an illustration in um, 1 Corinthians 3 about the church that has a direct application to uh, this uh, psalm. And uh, he wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So what you saw on the screen there was um, wheat, um, the, uh, the seed buried in the ground, and then growing, increasing, until it produced uh, a mighty harvest. And God gives the increase. God gives the increase. If he didn't, no one will. The increase could be wheat growth. It could be a, an individual's maturing. It could be a, a believer's spiritual growth. God gives the increase. God's the one who matures. God's the one who ripens. Charles Spurgeon wrote, For spiritual harvest we must look to God, for he alone can give the times of refreshing. In verse 11, God crowns the year with his goodness, his paths drip with abundance. He crowns the year with goodness. We, um, we see that same word in Psalm 5, crown. You, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. The Lord surrounds the year with, with his goodness. His paths drip with abundance. The paths of God, his footsteps. Someone warned, uh, warned me years ago, you're out there spraying herbicide, uh, Roundup, and walking among the weeds. Don't walk across the grass now. Why? Because your shoes have herbicide, herbicide on them, and you're going to leave a patch of death uh, of yellow splotches on, the, on our nice green lawn. <laughs> but where God walks, his footsteps may be recognized by fertility and fruitfulness. We, we see the, um, uh, the earth with its, uh, with its greenness, with its fullness. God's been here. God's been here. His paths drip with abundance. Verses um, 12 and 13. The unprecedented blessing will be a time of unprecedented rejoicing. In a language that God understands, the little, the little hills will rejoice on every side. Bill McDonald uh, describes the pastures as wearing a sheepskin coat. The pastures will be so full of sheep that it looks like uh, they're, they're wool. And uh, Bill says the ripened grain bends in rhythmic cadence across the valleys. So as far as I can see, we'll, we'll see those... Uh, uh, wheat, that wheat growing. David began his psalm with praise, and he ends with shouts of joy and singing. May we who have experienced the goodness of the Lord do the same. 
So, what are we to do? Let's make application. Before seeking the Lord's blessing, let's acknowledge what the Lord has already done. And um, let's do that when we, when we pray. Thank the Lord. Praise Him. Start with praise. Another application is to um, keep a Thanksgiving journal. We were at the Pie Night uh, Wednesday, and we were at our table, and um, each of us was telling what we were thankful, most thankful for. And um, one, one person thanked the Lord for his, uh, his mercy, his salvation, and she said, um, and I keep a Thanksgiving journal every day. I, I write a line in my journal on uh, what I thank the Lord for. And uh, I recommend that to you. At the end of each day, think back over the day and just one line, just a few words, write, I thank the Lord, uh, at the top of the page, I thank the Lord for, and then today, uh, what are you most thankful for? And date it. Keep a, keep a Thanksgiving journal. Our great provider God, who so graciously provides our salvation, also abundantly provides for our lives in, on earth and in glory. Let's thank him. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. And we, we long for the day of um, your reign, Lord Jesus, when you will set, uh, set everything right and the earth will rejoice, the little hills will rejoice on every side. We have so much to thank you for today in Fremont in 2023. And um, all things, all things come from you, Lord. Um, every gift is from above. We want to acknowledge that. This morning, we want to thank you for it, and um, we want to be uh, grateful recipients of all that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.